world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane confronts the question, why me? What to do when life becomes unfair? Plus, what's behind the mysterious spike in vasectomies in the month of March every year in America? Welcome to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. Well, I can't believe it, but this is episode 52. We've been together for a whole year. I, I'm I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it, it 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 went by so quick, and I hope that you have gotten you know something from the shows. I mean, my whole idea, I hope I've accomplished that, is to help you get through this period in your parents' life, you know, their elder years, and you as a child of an aging parent to get, to get through it as well, because both your parents and you experience a lot of different things, you know, um, and some same things, and everything that's experienced is, you know, surrounded by all this emotion so it's kind of you know it's it's a struggle but we all we get through it and we get through it together and I'm so glad that you've been here you know um we've done this journey together and we'll continue to do it and you know I try to give you some different ideas some practical tips you know um what might work in different situations you know how to how to get them to bathe because that's a struggle for a lot of people um how to get your parents to bathe or find the right hospital find the right you know rehab what to do in in emergencies maybe get them involved in adult daycare um you know we talked about medicaid and medicare and that all the different plans of, of medicare etc hospital acquired you know infections and um how to reduce hospital delirium different things like that you know, different topics. And what I find that, you know, all of us are unsure. This is a, a period of time in our lives where, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in our parents' lives, you know, as well as ours. You know, this old age thing is new to your parents, and it's new to us as children. So I I get a lot of, you know, calls um, or emails about, you know, what do I do? How do I proceed? I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And the one thing that, you know, I hope I, that's come across is you have to ask. You have to ask professionals. You have to ask the right people and surround yourself, you know, with the right people so that you can 
make the best decisions for yourself and for your parents and nothing is set in stone. And you know, it's, it's like anything else you can, the decision can, you know, start at one point and, and it can change. It can evolve. One thing that I urge people not to do is don't compare yourself to others. And, you know, I got an email the other day from Charlotte from Manitoba, Canada, and she said she struggled, you know, taking care of her dad. He had Alzheimer's disease and he passed away. And now her mom has recently been diagnosed with dementia. And, you know, she said to me, you know, why them? Why me? I look at people I know and, you know, their parents, she said, are fine or they lived into their 90s. 90s and then they just died. They didn't, you know, she said they didn't need any help. And, you know, she went on to say that I feel envious at times because these people, they didn't struggle. Then I feel guilty for feeling envious, you know, and I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. She goes, then I feel like I'm a terrible person, you know, because you know, going through this whole cycle. And she said, I just feel like this cycle is never ending and it's not going to, not going to end and help, you know, and First of all, Charlotte, you're, you're not a bad person. You know, you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel any of these emotions. And you know what? Some people maybe, you know, they, they didn't need any, any help. And, and maybe some people did, but you know what? You, you don't know really what goes on in other people's lives because people maybe haven't, didn't talk about their parents or any struggles they had, or maybe the people you're observing, you know, you're just observing the good, the good times. So you really, I always say that to people, you never know what's going on in someone else's life and you never know. And maybe they don't go through the same things you do, but maybe they have other obstacles or other things going on. And forget about social media, you know, don't look at that because that's filtered. You know, what appears on that is things people want you to see. It's, it's oftentimes not reality. So, you know, when you make comparisons, you're going to feel the way you feel and because you're not talking maybe to the right people. Um, and you have to get help where you are now. So if you go to the right people, you go to professionals, you know, even for, for every illness, you know, for dementia, for Alzheimer's, um, for COPD, for Parkinson's, they have all kinds of support groups, all kinds of different people that can help. So when you go, you know, to the right places or you talk to the people that are going through the same thing, that's different than just, you know, comparing, looking at other people and thinking, oh, you know, oh my gosh, what's wrong in my life or my parents' life? So when you talk to the right people, then you're in, you're, you're in reality. And what I had said before, nothing is permanent. And you, I always ask people, well, what, what do you want? Where do you want to go from here? And that's where we start. So you kind of want to look at the end and then work backwards and say, okay, how am I going to get to that point? And you know what? We as professionals have to tweak all the time. You do. Because, you know, life, you're dealing with humans and you're dealing with life. So things change. And, you know, sometimes, you know, with our parents, they'll try something once and go, ah, that didn't work. You know, and you can't just expect something to work once, you know, or you try it once. So, and when we look at things from our parents' perspective, you know, 
they're unsure too. They've never been this old before. This is like a new journey for them as well. And they want to live as normally as they can. They want to see you. They want to see their kids. They want to see their grandkids. They want to see their great grandkids. But they also don't want to be scrutinized and watched over every little thing they do. You know, some of them, they do want, they do want help, but they don't want to ask. They don't know how to ask or this is a big contention with everybody. They want help, but when they want it, you look at them and you say, you need help now. They don't feel that way. So here's where, you know, here's where the negotiation starts. And you have to be, you know, tender with them, but you got to be tough sometimes as well. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of caregivers, a lot of children will say to me, I don't feel appreciated. And you know what? They may not say it to you all the time, but they think it a lot, you know, and they, they'll say to me, oh, my daughter does so much. A lot of times, you know, our parents, especially that generation, you know, they didn't constantly slobber you with hugs and kisses and say, oh, you did a great job. They just didn't do that. So they're not going to do it now and say, I appreciate, you know, thanks. So they don't do that, but they do. You, you know, they do mean it. They do feel it. And they also want to be heard. We have to listen to what they tell us, what they're, you know, what they want. You know, it may not be realistic or it may be part of it or somehow we work it out. You know, they spent their lives doing something that they thought was important, was meaningful. So, you know, just because maybe, you know, physically they can't do something, it doesn't mean that they can't you know, think of something on their own that their mind isn't working. They, no matter what they tell you, they don't want to be lonely. And that's a big problem with the elderly. And we talked about that. And, you know, in Britain, loneliness among the elderly is so severe. They have appointed a minister, a minister for loneliness. So you can imagine, you know, it, it's gotten to that, that point. So, you know, a key, a key part, which we don't think about, of, you know, a parent feeling lonely or anybody feeling lonely is they feel rejected. And that really hurts if you see yourself as an outsider. That does such harm to a person, how they feel. And, you know, I see that a lot in spouses of 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 patients with dementia, you know, or a critically ill patient, because you have, you know, in, if they're in the home, if they're in the hospital, they're in the nursing home, you know, and, and, you know, the spouse is there visiting or the spouse is in the home, the professionals come in and they focus on the, on the ill person. They focus on that person. They all come in and, you know, do what they have to do for that person. And they kind of bark orders at the spouse. You have to do this. You have to make sure he drinks. You have to make sure she eats. You have to do this. They have to take their medication on time. They got to go to doctor's appointments. They have to have their blood work. You have to do that. What do you mean mom fell? You know, they have all this going on. And, you know, when I sit there and I look I look into the eyes of that spouse, you see that, you know, they're kind of craving attention because, and they don't mean it, you know, all, they don't mean to be outwardly looking for attention, but all the attention is going on to, on that sick person. And this other person is, is worn out as well. And they just need somebody to listen to them, you know, Somebody say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, or give them a hug. You know, they're kind of in the shadows and we don't mean to do that, but, you know, it happens. So we have to try to 
bring them out and bring their feel, feelings out. You know, I went to a house the other day. The children had called me because their mom has Alzheimer's and their dad has been taking care of um, of their mom. And he just doesn't want outside help. And both children live in different areas uh plane rides away and so they keep suggesting things to him and he always and that happens you hear this a lot they do it with me everything you suggest every little thing no that's not going to work no we can't do that because of this we can't move that because of this so you know you find out every solution you offer there's a problem with it so I, of course, try to find out when I'm talking to him. I want to find out about his wife. She's the patient. We want to find out about her history, you know, about what she did, you know, how how maybe she came to have, you know, diagnosed with the dementia. And when we come back, we'll talk more about how we have to involve the spouse more. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Welcome all these new listeners from Canada, from Toronto, Montreal, Quebec City, Winnipeg, Halifax, Barrie, Red Deer, Drummondville, Moose Jaw, and Manitoba. Welcome and thank you so much for listening. So we were talking about involving the spouse more, especially, you know, 
when you have a, a critically ill patient and uh, or a, a dementia patient, you know, a patient that requires a lot of care and it's a, an on, ongoing situation. So the the spouse who typically is the caregiver, you know, kind of gets pushed to the shadows and we, we, we don't think about, you know, talking to them and getting them, getting them involved in every visit, you know, as professionals, when you go, let's say if they're in the home, when you go out to the home or, or they bring them, you know, they bring the patient to the doctor, you know, we really have to find out how they're doing um, because they're, they're a great part of the care and we want to make sure that they remain that way and they remain physically and mentally strong. So I was talking to the husband, you know, and of course I'm trying to find out about his wife and he kept trying to tell me about what he did, you know, what he did for a living and, and how hard it is on him. And so of course I have to focus on him and I have to talk to him and, you know, listen to what's on his mind, what he's struggling with, you know, and then he, he says to me that he, you know, he, he said to me that, um, you know, I, I'm trying to take care of her, you know, and do all this. And I said to him, you know, I have to be a good husband. I have to take care of her. And, you know, of course, that generation, you know, that our parents grew up in, that's what the man did. You know, he took care of his wife and continuing, he, this is what he felt. He felt he physically, not only did he financially do it, you know, when they were um, married and had children, he wants to physically do it now as well. That's still part of his job in his mind, you know. And so, you know, I said to him, well, you know, being a good husband, part of that is finding the right people to help her. You know, that's part of doing it. I said to him, you know, when you, if you had a fire in the house, what would you do? Well, I'd call the fire department. Exactly. You're not going to sit here and try to put out the fire. So this is like a fire. You know, we, you have to find the right, the right solutions. We have to find the right people. And that's part of being a good husband. It's different in this stage, you know, uh, of your lives together. And, you know, he said to me, our life wasn't supposed to go this way. You know, we were going to travel and we were going to do all these things together when we retired, you know, and I feel helpless. And, you know, I said to him, and you hear this a lot, this isn't, this is not how our life was supposed to go. This is not what we were supposed to be doing. And I said to him, because I, I think about it all the time, you know, and, and I say it to people all the time. I don't, I can't think of anyone that I know whose life went exactly as they planned, you know, with no, you know, no bumps in the road, no hills and valleys, you know, I, I, I don't know anybody. Now, it, it, their life could have been fine up to 20 years old and something happened. Their life could have been going as planned in, until 70 years old. I mean, it can happen at any time, you know, but things are going to happen. I was the editor of my high school yearbook. And of course, as the editor, you had to do an introduction. And even then, you know, when I was 17 years old, I wrote this poem, The Vicissitudes of Life, what the ups and downs of life. So even back then, you know, I knew. And so, you know, I said to him, you know, everything changes. That's our life. It's a series of changes, you know, and this is what gets us. We're caught off guard by what we expected. And then what happened, you know, what actually happened, what we planned and what actually happened. And, you know, 
everything is constantly changes changing you know we we may not notice the little changes or the ones that are expected but the big ones are what gets us you know what confuses us what overwhelms us and i said to him you know this this change with your wife i mean this this dementia it it is it's overwhelming and you know what happened to her what happened to your life together you hate it and I, I get that. And it, it sucks. I mean, it, it, there's no other way to say it, but it's happened and it's going to continue happening and the progression's going to be there and things are going to happen and change whether you like it or not. So we have to force ourselves. We got to face it, you know, and I, I always think of Leon Megason. He was the, the business professor at Louisiana U University and he made a speech in 1963 at the Southwestern Social Science Association. And what basically he was saying was he was interpreting the central idea in Darwin's Origin of Species. And what he said was, it is not the most intellectual of the species that survives. It is not the strongest that survives. But the species that survives is the one that is able best to adapt and adjust to the changing environment in which it finds itself. Huh, and that's, what is that? That's our life and everything is going to change and we have to manage. You know, and that's what I said to him. We got to manage for you and your wife what's here and now. And I said to him, you know, you can be mad. You can be mad at this situation. You could feel sad. You know, you, you can take it out on me. You could take it out on anybody, you know, you want, you know, but it's, it's here. And, and that, that, that mad, you know, being mad, that sadness, it, it, we got to, it, it's for a time. And then we have to, we got to move on and we have to adapt. We can't let it paralyze us because if you just stop and you let it paralyze you, you're going to keep feeling that helplessness and your kids, you have to, they want to help you. And there's nothing wrong with relying on them have them, you know, maybe they physically can't be here, but they can arrange for you to have help. They can figure out different things for you. They can do that for you. You have to ask for help. And I say that as caregivers, you know, as, as children of aging parents as well, we, ha you have to ask for help and you have to be specific of what you want, what you need, because you know what? There's a lot of people around you, but there's a lot of people who don't know how to help. They don't know what to do. And you know what? If you ask them, they're going to be relieved that you asked them because you took that burden off of them. Their burden is, oh my God, what do I do? How do I help you? And they don't know how to help you. So they don't do anything. You are asking them, you're relieving them. There's some people that are natural born caregivers. They'll jump right in and they know exactly what to do. But you know what? Most people don't. Most people get scared just as you are and they get stuck and they don't know what to do. So they don't do anything. So asking, you know, I hear all the time, you know, my, look at my neighbor. He knows I need somebody to go to the store for me. He knows. I say, but how does he know? Well, he should know. <laughs> and we do that a lot. Well, they should know, but they don't. You know, we we think people know more, you know, they're more. They have their Martian antennas up, you know, and they know more than they don't have ESP. So we have to ask, 
you know, and I, I said to this man, I know your whole world has changed. And you know what? We stink at life sometimes. Sometimes life stinks and sometimes we stink at it, you know, because it's changing and we don't like it. We're creatures of habit and we get stuck, but we can't. We just have to keep going and we have to manage what's now. <clears throat> what we got to try to do and what I tell people for your parents, if we can just try to adjust maybe one thing, because you know, our parents, they, they want their routine. They want to, they want to, they, they like structure. They like their routine. So maybe if we can just change one thing and try to keep the other things that they do the same, if we can, if we can't, we can't, you know, I said to this man, what happened? Do you remember when, you know, you were first married and you had your first child? You know, you had your son or your daughter. Oh, my God. I said, did your life change? Oh, my God. We didn't get any sleep. You know, this. I said, you know, even good changes, they can be just as hard to adapt to as the negative ones. So, <clears throat> you know, we have to look at life that way. You know, there's changes, good and bad, and we have to adjust to them. And, you know, I said to him, you're going to, you know, when you... When you give in, <clears throat> you know, because you're, you're trying to hang on to what was and not accepting what's happening now, when you let go and you give in, you're going to get that emotional release that, okay, I, I, I see what's happening and I accept it and we move on from here. So some... A few things in the news that I thought might interest you. So, nobody is normal. You're off the hook. Did you know that every day millions of people around the world ask Google some variation of the question, am I normal? <laughs> I didn't know that. So, not only search engine data alone, because that's kind of a flimsy way to determine whether or not you're a freak, but Yale research has confirmed it scientifically. So two Yale psychologists have argued that we're all a little bit weird, but being weird is in fact totally normal. So if you feel like a weirdo, you have to believe there's such a thing as normal, that what's normal, a standard or optimal state of being in whatever area you're worried about. But these psychologists said the world isn't near neatly divided into healthy or unhealthy, ideal, and the subpar. There's a continuum. So separating the normal from the weird is usually impossible. So they argue that there is no fixed normal. Any behavior is neither solely negative or solely positive. So barring, of course, obvious dysfunction, you're almost certainly way more normal than you think you are than you think you are. You're weird, but so is everyone else. So stop weir worrying and let your, <laughs> let your freak flag fly. Okay, say that fast 20 times. Oh my gosh. Okay, something else, swearing. Well, swearing is all around us. You hear swear, swear words all the time. It's part of being, I say, it's part of being human. It's documented in vir virtually every culture. Swearing appears as part of a range of conditions. You know, uh, excessive swearing can occur with a traumatic brain injury, or it can occur in depression in the elderly. 
It's associated with dementia, encephalitis. And, you know, you we all heard about Tourette's where it's a common part of Tourette's, swearing. So researchers, that's why they take an, ish, an interest in swearing because it's part of all these conditions. And what they have found is that swearing can increase a person's ability to tolerate pain. Swearing can also increase a person's ability to tolerate the cold. Well, the theory is that by swearing, we trigger our fight or flight response, which in turn reduces our sensation of pain. Interesting. So, can the condescending smile of others stress us out? Well, scientists say that there's three types of smiles. Rewarding smiles, which indicate encouragement. Affiliation smiles, which indicate relatability. And dominant smiles, which indicate superiority. And the average person can tell them apart easily. They can judge the kind of smile by the shape and size of the smile and the shape of the eyes. And the human brain is wired to react to facial expressions even without your vocal cues. So a dominant smile, which indicates superiority, suggests a potential threat. So stress level increases. Okay, so I'm going to leave you with this. Vasectomies are up in March. Why? <laughs> Because we have March Madness, the basketball tournament, and that usually takes place during the first two weeks of the month. And what happens is, may, with major sporting events, they're a popular time for men to schedule a vasectomy because they're advised to take it easy for two to three days after the procedure. So that means sitting on the couch in front of the television and watching a sporting event. I know. Okay. <laughs> so... What's my survival tip of the week? Do for others. Studies show doing for others makes us happier. And doing good has definite physiological benefits. The vagus nerve, which is responsible for regu the regulation of multiple body organs, the heart, lungs, and the digestive system. Well, the vagus nerve can be stimulated through activities associated with a sense of connection to others. I hope today's episode you got something from it. I hope this past year has helped you. I know it's helped me. It's helped a lot of people. And I'm looking forward to another 52 sessions each week. Remember, the very best conversations happen over at parentsarehardtoraise.org. So I want you to go right there, right now, and leave a question or comment so myself, our team, and the entire Parents Are Hard to Raise worldwide community can support you. Please share as much detail as you can because thousands of people come here each week for insight and inspiration and your story may give someone else exactly what they need to live more fully right now. One of the things we're all starving for is community and connection, so please join us. If you found something helpful in this episode, please subscribe. Please subscribe on iHeartRadio. I'd be so grateful if you'd share this episode with your family and friends. Tell them about it. Tell them they can go on to iHeartRadio or iTunes and subscribe. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to reading your comments 
and can't wait till we meet up again on the next episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Till then, question everything. See you again next week.